Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there, good morning. Welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and so glad that you're here with us. Happy New Year. This is the first week of 2021, and it could be a truly historic one. We had a phone call between President Trump and the Secretary of State down in Georgia. We're going to break all that down. We've also got tomorrow the Georgia Senate runoffs, and Wednesday is the congressional certification of the election with a growing number of Republican members who will challenge that certification for Joe Biden. Joining me right now is Tracy Beans, editor-in-chief of Uncover DC. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning. Good to be here today. So I want to put up a couple of tweets that you put out about some statements here on what's happening right now. First of all, you have not been shy and President Trump has taken notice of what you've been saying. You said something on this issue of specifically about journalism. So Catherine Herridge, who is a reporter with CBS, formerly of Fox News, says she talks about this, this uh, phone call between the Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger and the president. And you're saying that this is lazy journalism. Why do you think this is lady journalism, lazy journalism? And you also said you've got to read the transcript. They are giving Raffensperger and crew one last chance. Keep your eyes on Georgia. It's about to blow. Oh, boy, these people walked into a pile of it now. Stay tuned for the next shoe to drop. What exactly is the shoe to drop? Well, it's interesting because I think that Catherine Harris is an absolutely fantastic journalist, but she jumped on the quick edited version of the Washington Post's uh, call. They put out a four minute long snipped version of what was said on that call. And I always wait because it's never the full story. I mean, ever. The legacy media lies to the American people every single day, all day long. And once the full call was released, if you read the transcript of this hour long call or listen to it, you hear President Trump several times mention a new tape that they have, which is magnified that they're going to be releasing out of Georgia from State Farm Marina. And when the individuals in the room who were rushed back in there after everyone left, scanned those ballots three times um, that came from underneath the table. And he references this video several times throughout the conversation. So when it comes, though, to what's happening with the Republicans and their plan to challenge in Congress, you had a tweet here from Keith Olbermann, who has been very critical of Trump supporters using language, for example, calling them maggots. I don't know what happened to Biden's call for unity there since uh, he's a Democrat. But he put out a tweet and he says 10 traitors led by Ted Cruz are demanding an emergency 10 day audit of the election returns in the disputed states. There are no disputed states. There is only an attempted Trump coup. I call for the arrest of Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson, and the other eight on charges of sedition. What is going on here? Because this is something that some senators who are doing when it comes to calling for an audit. What here is seditious? 
Um, literally nothing. It's actually what the Constitution calls for in a situation such as this. But the Democrats, sadly, they do the opposite of, of everything right and normal in, in this country, calling for the arrest of, of senators standing up for the American people and the sanctity of the American vote is really something else. Um, I don't really act surprised coming from Keith Oberman, though. You know, talk about violent rhetoric and, and divisiveness. There it is right there. I think that people don't understand as soon as a fraudulent vote is cast, it, it nullifies someone else's vote, whether that be a Republican or a Democrat vote. And so there's a couple different things going on here. One, we have senators uh, now stepping up and realizing that there is mountains of evidence of, um, you know, alleged wrongdoing in this election, thousands of witness affidavits and American people stepping forward. And then there's also still time for these state legislatures to get together, decertify the election results that were put forth fraudulently for Joe Biden and recertify the proper slate of electors for President Trump. So there's like a two pronged sort of thing going on right now. And Georgia, in particular, the uh, committee down there that met and heard this evidence put out a document asking for a full session to convene so that they could do just that. This is not some conspiracy theory. Um, these are state legislators who have witnessed and heard from witnesses all of the, the wrongdoing that happened. Even if you just look at the, the blatant unconstitutionality of some of the things that these states did in terms of their own elections— so there's a little bit of a road left to trudge, but we've only got a few days left. I want to read here an article by my colleague Alex Nitzberg, and it's about Senator Mitt Romney. The headline is that Romney, he blasts the, quote, egregious ploy to reject electors announced by fellow Republican senators. He says that, quote, my fellow Senator Ted Cruz and the co-signers of his statement argue that rejection of electors or an election audit directed by Congress would restore trust in the election, Romney noted. Nonsense. This argument ignores the widely perceived reality that Congress is an overwhelmingly partisan body. The American people wisely place greater trust in the federal courts where judges serve for life. Members of Congress who would substitute their own partisan and judgment for that of the courts do not enhance public trust. They imperil it. So I want to ask you, though, because you just mentioned, Tracy, that if there was a fraudulent vote, it dilutes the other votes. The Supreme Court was basically posed this very question by Texas, and, and the Attorney General of Texas brought forth a lawsuit making that exact argument that you're saying, that they're saying that their votes were diluted in Texas, the legally cast votes, by alleged illegally cast votes. But it looks like, according to the Supreme Court, that's not true or at least in what's well, happening for this election. Yeah, the Supreme Court actually didn't rule on whether or not that was true. They said Texas didn't have standing to bring that suit at all. They didn't look at the merits of the suit. They didn't look at the evidence inside of it. They just decided not to hear it. Um, I think one could argue at this point the American people have little faith in the court system. Of course, Mitt Romney has great faith in the court system because he is part of that, that sort of establishment crew that doesn't really want a free and fair America. They want, you know, to line their pockets with lobbying dollars and to sell us all out, in my opinion. Um, but the thing is this, none of these court cases that have been brought forth have gotten to an evidentiary stage other than one in Michigan where we got the forensic audit of the Dominion machines and look what we found there. Um, and that's the problem. As a matter of fact, there's a Trump lawsuit right now in Georgia that hasn't even received a hearing date despite the, the necessity for an expedited calendar. 
So we're in a place right now that is unlike any other. And at the end of the day, that responsibility does fall on the Senate and on Congress. They have a duty. It's not just ceremonial. They don't just go in there and just go ahead and sign off on everything. As a matter of fact, Democrats have challenged these electoral slips several times in the past, as early as 2016. So perhaps Keith Olbermann, if he feels that way, should look inside of his own party and see what what has gone on in past years, just as recently as the last presidential election. All right, Tracy Beans, thanks so much. We always appreciate your perspective. Thank you so much. And we've got much more coming up here on this electoral challenge, including Phil Klein. You've seen him everywhere. He's the expert on all these lawsuits. He'll be with us later in the show. In the meantime, stay tuned for Akash. He's with Stand Together with the Koch Network. We're going to ask him what's the latest. We'll be right back. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey there, good morning, and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're with us here in 2021, our first episode. Joining me is Akash Chogoli. He is the Vice President of Economic Opportunity for Stand Together Chamber of Commerce, which is the Koch Network. He is not shy about the stimulus package that was just passed. Let's put up a few comments from him about this that he put out. He said that Congress is about to pass a bill that is more than 5,000 pages long, possibly the longest bill in U.S. history, costing more than $2 trillion which no one will have read and much of which will have nothing to do with COVID-19. An absolute disgrace that was completely avoidable. It could have been avoided if Congress followed the regular order budget process. It could have been avoided by rejecting anti-science sweeping lockdowns. It could have been avoided if Congress cared more about taxpayers than special interest carve-outs the rest of us pay for. Good morning, Akash. Good morning, Carrie. Thanks for having me on. So just tell us how you really feel, Akash. So this bill, it seemed like here in D.C. that everybody was patting themselves on the back when this finally went through. You have a different take. Are you the, the were you the pariah at the punch bowl? I mean, there were no punch bowl parties, so maybe that was OK for you. Yeah, no, the thing is, Carrie, that this is just another episode in what we've seen year after year, long before COVID. And regardless of who's controlling the White House, who's controlling Congress, and that's a complete inability or you know lack of interest from Congress to follow the regular order budget process, which has been the law for more than 40 years. What ends up happening every year is Congress is forced to vote on one of these you know, thousand page trillion dollar bills that's chock full of goodies and pet projects or else the government shuts down and we harm Americans that way. The only thing that was different this year is they tacked on billions and billions more in additional corporate welfare and an additional emergency spending, despite the fact that there are still literally trillions with a T, trillions of dollars of unspent COVID relief funds from previous packages. Um, and so it puts the president in a difficult position. It puts members of Congress in a difficult position. Uh, and what we really need to do is focus our solutions on curbing the spread of the virus, not just asking government to spend its way out of the pandemic for us, and this year getting Congress back on that regular order budget process so we can see up close and you know truly debate how our tax dollars are being spent. 
Well, and President Trump even said he was upset. He made a threat that he was going to veto this. He ended up not vetoing it, perhaps because he knew that he very well likely could have had that veto overridden, just like he got overridden for the defense bill that just happened. But do you think that the Republicans, President Trump says he actually wants more money. He wants to have $2,000 per person instead of the 600 or in addition to the 600 or maybe on top of it. But do you think that's going to happen? Because it seems like Mitch McConnell is saying this is a no-go. I don't think so. And honestly, we applaud Leader McConnell for standing in the way of additional federal spending. Um, the situation is just not what it was in the spring, Carrie. Our, our path forward is not, again, going to be that government spends its way out of this pandemic. It's going to be that government focuses on solutions to the virus, eliminating barriers to expanded testing, therapeutic treatments. What Leader McConnell did is stop an additional $464 billion dollars in federal spending. And look, the easiest thing for any politician to do is give away money that other people are paying for or that we're borrowing. That's easy to do in the short run, but all this debt makes us more vulnerable in the long run. And one of the things it makes us more vulnerable to is China, which currently holds more than a trillion dollars of our debt. And so we applaud Leader McConnell for standing in the way of that additional federal spending. And now we really hope Congress and the federal government will train its focus on curbing the virus to get us back to work so we can recover stronger. So that's a very interesting point that you mentioned about China, Akash. And I should uh, disclose to our viewers that you and I used to be colleagues uh, at, there at the network. And the Koch network has been very vocal in some respects, especially on trade against President Trump, to say that, uh, that the network is against barriers, they're against tariffs, things like that. But you just mentioned China as, you said, a risk when it comes to debt. What are you guys going to be doing when it comes to the Biden administration? Because you're in this position, it's a conservative network, but you also have not been afraid to speak out against conservatives. But at the same time, you got China, which assessment after assessment is saying is a growing threat to the United States. What's going to be your attack on this? Absolutely. Well, so we don't think that our way to compete with China is by doubling down on the policies that make us more like China, right? China rigs their economy. They engage in trade protectionism. They subsidize certain industries over others. Um, the first thing we can do that should be easy and obvious uh, is to not bury ourselves in more debt. Now, President-elect Biden called this most recent bill a down payment. Now, we don't know what that it's a down payment on what, but we can only imagine uh, how much more money the President-elect Biden and, and congressional Democrats want to spend. Uh, we certainly oppose any efforts to do that to make the fiscal situation even worse. And then when it comes to issues like trade, yes, we're free trade and um, we're for a level playing field. We do think that that's a path forward, a path to prosperity for Americans. But again, it is important that we, um, you know, we get our fiscal house in order and these COVID relief packages are simply not helping us do so. So you're saying that by becoming less indebted to China, that actually makes the United States in a more robust position against China? Absolutely, Carrie. Every single time we're, you know, we're borrowing more money, we're increasing our debt, it makes it harder to fund the core responsibilities of our federal government. Our interest on the debt is going to exceed how much we spend on our defense budget here fairly soon. And so we're not only hemorrhaging money sort of here in the short run, we're making our next generation more vulnerable uh, and piling more and more challenges on them in an increasingly globalized world. Are you guys getting involved in the Georgia Senate race? We are. So the Stand Together community, one of our member organizations is AFP Action. Um, they're spending, you know, a significant amount of money. There are hundreds of staff knocking millions of doors and, uh, you know, putting up digital ads and all that to turn out conservative voters to help reelect Senator Purdue. 
Um, and the reason we're doing that is exactly some of the things that, that we're talking about now. It's issues like federal spending. It's to stop um, you know, Chuck Schumer from eliminating the filibuster to raise taxes, enact a Green New Deal, expand forced unionism. And so the Georgia Senate races are really arguably the only thing standing in the way of that. We recognize that here at the Stand Together community, which is why AFP Action uh, is heavily engaged in trying to turn out conservative voters. What do you think is going to happen? What's your crystal ball? You know, I'm, I'm hopeful, but obviously it's a, it's a tense situation down there. There's lots of organizations, lots of money, lots of boots on the ground. Um, we're just trying to do our part to turn out folks that we know will, uh, will help reelect Senator Perdue and, and hoping for the best. And what about Senator Loeffler? Are you not getting involved with her? She obviously benefits from, uh, from turning out conservative voters. What we've learned and what AFP Action has learned, um, you know, I'm not directly involved in those efforts, but what, you know, what I've learned from AFP Action's efforts um, is that the message is more effective when it's sort of singularly focused. Senator Perdue has championed our issues uh, for a long time in Congress. We were engaged on, uh, on helping to reelect him throughout this year. And so we remain focused on Senator Perdue as far as our messaging and all of that, um, that AFP action is engaged in. But obviously there will be um, some benefit across the board there. So when it comes to PAYGO, it's a very beltway concept, but the concept is called PAYGO, which is where Congress cannot spend new money without cutting it somewhere else. According to this new House package of rules that they just passed, again, very beltway speak, they're getting rid of that. It's, it's pay gone. So basically, this means that people, the federal government can spend without having any sort of control over it. What happened here with PAYGO and now that it's pay gone? Yeah, this is, you know, PAYGO is just one of the very few mechanisms that currently exist to try to control federal spending in any meaningful fashion. Um, it's just another reckless abandonment of any sort of responsibility to the next generation or to taxpayers uh, from House Democrats and House Democratic leadership with this rules package. Um, this is, again, another reason why the Senate race in Georgia is so important, why AFP action is so heavily engaged. Stop these reckless packages. All right. Thanks so much, Akash Chogali. We appreciate it. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with Matt Makoviak. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey, good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. Joining me here this morning is Matt Makoviak. He is president of the Potomac Strategy Group and host of the podcast Mac on Politics. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Carrie. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We're matchy-matchy pink here. It's great. We New can Year. Get the <laughs> uh, so you are an expert in all things politics here, especially in the Beltway. You're in Atlanta today, though. I want to talk about what's happening with this challenge 
among Republicans in the House. So Kevin McCarthy says he supports the electoral challenge in the House, while the deputy, Liz Cheney, says she opposes it. So this is something we've been reporting. Our founder, John Solomon, has been reporting about this. While McCarthy has endorsed the effort, House Republican Conference Chair Liz Cheney of Wyoming, who is a frequent Trump opponent, sent a memo to the GOP caucus members opposing the effort as a danger to democracy. She says, quote, such objections set an exceptionally dangerous precedence, threatening to steal states' explicit constitutional responsibility for choosing the president, bestowing it instead on Congress, she wrote. This is directly at odds with the Constitution's clear text and our core beliefs as Republicans. So what I didn't see in this memo, though, when she says a dangerous precedence, is the fact that Democrats did the exact same thing in 2001, 2005, and 2017. I don't recall her sending a memo toward that effect. Why not? It's a great point. Um, and honestly, the, the national media didn't cover those electoral college challenges with one one thousandth the intensity and urgency and focus they have here. Um, I think the thing that is different is that in this case, you're likely to have 140, 145 House Republicans support this electoral college challenge. It's a large block uh, of the overall House Republican conference. It's well more than half. And so Liz Cheney is in leadership. Uh, she certainly wants to move up the leadership ladder. She has, I think, the chance to be Speaker of the House down the road in 10 years or something like that if she wants. But she's, she's going to be outside the majority of House Republicans. Um, I think, look, I do think there's a principled um, debate here, the question of whether Congress really has a role or not. And you have conservatives like Chip Roy from Texas and Liz Cheney and others who have come to that conclusion that, that it does not, and, and Tom Cotton in the Senate from Arkansas. And then you have conservatives on the other side that have said, no, let's at least look at this. Let's answer questions. Let's try to uh, give people more facts and more evidence. You know, these court cases have simply not really answered any questions. Most of them have been thrown out based on standing. In very few cases have, has the Trump team been able to prov you know, provide any evidence or get anything ruled on the merits. So there's a lot of frustration there. In the Senate, keep in mind, you're going to have this situation where, depending on, on how many states Josh Hawley specifically mentions, you're going to have two hours of debate on each state. So presumably he'll do Pennsylvania, probably Georgia, maybe three or four others. You, you could have eight or 10 or 12 hours uh, on Wednesday of debate. So do you think you mentioned Liz Cheney, she could be Speaker of the House in the future. Do you think this basically blows up her chances? Well, no. I mean, look, she's she's obviously in um, sort of a, a more establishment lane uh, in the Republican Party, certainly more of a hawkish lane. Um, you can see Trump has taken the Republican Party in a different direction, uh, more populist, more nationalist, and certainly more, more uh, non-interventionist. And so Liz Cheney has, I think, supported the president's agenda in a lot of ways, but I do think uh, when it comes to foreign policy, she has not been shy to speak up. I'm not predicting she's going to be Speaker of the House, but I do think she, she, she has designs on that, wants to move up the leadership ladder. She's the highest-ranking woman on the Republican side, and she's a, a very effective uh, legislator and a very smart person. So, again, on this, it's going to be impossible to know four years from now or, or well beyond that how this is all going to play. Uh, the Trump era is, is – at least the presidency is going to likely come to, the, come, come to an end on January 20th. But I don't think the Trump era is over, and I certainly don't think Trumpism in terms of the issues that he utilized – to motivate uh, 75, 76 million people to vote uh, in this 2020 election. Those issues are not going away. He has moved the, the, the Republican Party and certainly the country on China. Uh, he's moved the Republican Party on immigration. He's moved the Republican Party on trade uh, and on other issues, too. And, of course, he's had the, the fastest pace of judicial confirmations in the history uh, of the presidency.
So it's interesting because I've seen research that has shown that one of the deepest fears of Republican voters and the Republican base and really the core of the Republican Party is they're afraid that any protest or any successor to Trump will not fight like Trump. Do you think Liz Cheney is someone, and you said the word establishment, who would be in the establishment who could fight like Trump? You know, Trump is so singular. Um, you know, he likes fighting. He doesn't mind that people, uh, you know, criticize him. He's willing to accept criticism, and he's willing to make unpopular decisions, and that's pretty rare in politics. Um, I think when it comes to national security and foreign policy, I think Liz Cheney, if she were to become Speaker of the House or serve in the United States Senate or be on a national ticket, um, I think she would be willing to, do, to, to fight for, for the country, certainly on those issues, and make unpopular decisions, much, much like her father did when he was vice president. Um, but if you're talking about the culture war, if you're talking about immigration, if you're talking about trade, if you're talking about China, on these issues, I think she's probably in the right place. But whether she's really going to be willing to fight the way Trump has, I think, is a huge question. That's not a criticism of her. It's that, that Trump is so different from everything that's come before, and he, he, he will probably be different from everything that comes after. Uh, you're seeing Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, a number of others, uh, maybe Nikki Haley, who are trying to position themselves to, to perhaps run on Trump's issues, if not run on his brand and his personality. I think there's an opportunity to, to take the, the fact that Trump has made the Republican Party the working class party for the first time since Reagan and build on that with those issues, whether if that's presuming Trump does not run in 2024. And I don't think we know that he won't do that. So. The RNC is meeting, the Republican Party is meeting for its winter meeting just this week. What do you think is going to be, this is obviously a long way out. You mentioned a few names. Who do you think is the most likely mantle bearer for Trump? Yeah, for the party, yeah. I mean, the so you, you'll, you'll see the RNC winter meeting um, uh, today and tomorrow. Uh, I believe it's in Georgia or Florida. I can't remember which. Um, yeah, you'll have a bit of a cattle call. You'll have some national figures come down there. They're obviously going to be super focused on the Georgia Senate runoffs, which, uh, you know, we use hyperbole a lot uh, in media and in politics, but boy, it is the most important U.S. Senate runoff I can ever remember. Um, and so everyone's going to be focused on where that stands, how the, what the metrics are, how it looks on the ground, what the chances are, all, the, all those kinds of things. But as it goes forward, it, the, the first question is, does Trump run again? If he runs again, he's going to block out the sun and he will be unbeatable in a Republican primary. If he doesn't run again, then I think it's a free-for-all. Um, and I think you're going to have candidates in different lanes, right? You're going to have, um, you know, Nikki Haley might be considered more of uh, maybe a mainstream lane, perhaps. You could have Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz fight for sort of the Trump successor lane. Mike Pence would be in there. You could have other fresh faces, Christy Noem and, and, and others, governors uh, in there. So uh, it, it's impossible to say two years from now, uh, you know, we're going to have another congressional midterm. Uh, I'll predict to you right here on their first show of the new year, the Republicans will take back the United States House of Representatives. They'll do that because the margin is so so close. They're going to pick up seats in redistricting, and they have Republican legislative majorities in states. They're going to redraw maps in ways to give them advantages. Kevin McCarthy is almost surely going to be Speaker of the House two years from now, and that's going to change the political dynamic in Washington and probably really make it hard for Biden to do much of anything. All right, we're going to check this tape in two years, Matt. I'm going to hold Good. your feet to the fire. Um, I got one last question for you. When it comes to Trump, let's say he runs again, or even if he doesn't run again, the mail-in ballot situation, because the president, and I have no doubt we're going to hear from Trump over the next four years, that it was the mail-in ballot situation that really threw him under the bus or that really disrupted things and that, from his perspective, flooded the, the system with a lot of confusion and, from his argument, votes that should not have been cast or that were not well-connected in terms of the ballot custody. What's going to happen for the Republican Party on this issue going forward? 
Yeah, I think it's a huge fight. And you had, you know, blue states, blue, blue city mayors, you know, blue legislatures, Democratic appointed judges in some of these key states that use COVID as an excuse to ignore state laws, to ignore state constitutions um, and, and make mail balloting massively, massively more available. Um, and look, no one wanted anyone to get sick. But if, if you can go to the grocery All store. All right, Matt McCoviak, sorry, we're going to leave it right there. We're going to have you back. We'll get the same closed memo next time. Thanks, guys. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey there, good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. Well, it's 2021. This is our first episode of the year and who better than Crystal Berger? She's a speaker, journalist and author to tell us how to chase after your goals successfully here in 2021. Crystal is the author. Her book is called Be Extraordinary, Claiming a Life of Purpose, Passion and Prosperity. She joins me this morning. Good morning, Crystal. Good morning, Carrie. Happy 2021. I think a lot of people just feel a breath of fresh air that 2020 is behind us and it's in the rear view mirror. How can we look forward? And some people say, okay, resolutions, they're kind of cheesy or they just set up false expectations. How should we be thinking about this fresh new year? Yeah, we have to turn up the heat on 2021. We have to really live our life with purpose, passion, and prosperity. And I came up with a little mnemonic device called heat, right? You want to hone in on your goals. You want to set some really clear expectations for yourself. But more importantly, you want to affirm those things and then tackle your goals as consistently and as purposefully as possible. Because we know that before the seventh day of January, most people, 29% of people have abandoned in their New Year's resolution. So we want to throw resolutions out the window and set up some really sustainable goals for 2021. So walk us through the others. What are the other parts of the heat? Yeah, so heat is home. So home, you want to write down your goals. Like, And they say that 42% of people who actually write down their goals are more likely to achieve their goals. So just by writing your goal down and honing in on it, you are 42% more likely to actually achieve that goal. So you're halfway there just by putting it on paper. When you set these expectations, what we don't realize, a lot of times we do a lot of self-sabotage throughout the year, right? We, we, we say we want to do something, we write it down, but then we don't expect that those things are going to happen. In my book, you'll find the quote, you know, the mindset supersedes the skill set. So if your mind is telling you that you won't accomplish your goal, then you probably won't. So you want to make sure that you engage in thoughtful, mindful thinking that's always positive to set those expectations on the way. Now, the biggest piece of this is affirmations. People think it's corny. People think that it's something that doesn't work. You do it in church all the time. You hear your friends speaking their goals and to existence. People who actually affirm things in a positive light, again, these people are 17% more likely to actually achieve their goal. So just by actually affirming positivity over the thing that you want to accomplish, you are getting yourself closer to the goal. 
Ikea did an interesting study. They took two plants, right? And they put it in the same setting. They had the same seed, the same soil. They had the same sunlight. Everything was the same except for one plant was spoken positively to. The other plant was spoken to in a negative way. And within 30 days, Carrie, 30 days, the plant that was bullied, okay, the plant that was bullied and talked to toxically was the one that withered and died. And the one that had the positive affirmations literally grew exponentially like it bloomed and blossomed in such a major way but the last piece of this goal setting that is really critical is we can write our goals down all day we can put timelines to those goals we can even have all of these positive affirmations but if we don't tackle the goal carry we have to take action and make the goal happen john c maxwell i interviewed him a couple of years ago and he said to me crystal no one has ever accomplished anything in life by being unintentional so if you're not intentional about your goals and really actively engaging in the goals then it's going to be difficult for you to turn up the heat on your new year's resolutions sure no tackling i mean that's but that's where the secret sauce is because there's one thing to say something positive and I'm all for speaking positively and having a positive attitude but how do you how do you draw the line between acting on what's real versus just kind of deluding yourself Carry is make sure that you put yourself in a group of people that can hold you accountable. People who are either where you are or where you want to go. I preferably say surround yourself with purpose, on purpose, in order to start living your purpose. So if you see some folks who are actually living the goal or the dream that you'd like to have, reach out to them. It's a new year, guys. Take risk. 2021. Send an informational uh, request and say, hey, I love your story. I love your journey. I would love to know more about who you are what it is that you do and how you achieved your goal. And then start to build a community of people that can hold you accountable. I'm actually a part of a female mastermind group called Feely. And Feely, what we do is we support one another. We are like-minded women from a diverse and array of backgrounds. And we set goals, we set expectations, but then we check in on each other, right? Put on your calendar, Carrie, if you are actually trying to achieve a goal, put the goal with timelines in your reminders on your phone so you can be reminded throughout of 2021 how to get there. So those are just a couple of quick tips on how to get there. Sure. Last question. A lot of people watching this are dealing with lockdowns, whether it's in California or New York, here in D.C. A lot of governors are putting restrictions on what people can do, meeting up. It's hard to go out and network and go to an event and get coffee. So you're saying to get new networks and new people to help hold you accountable. How are you going to do that when so many people feel really constrained and they're in their box of their apartment or their house? Well, this is the time, Carrie, where you have to think outside the box, right? Thank goodness for social media, virtual platforms. I recently joined Clubhouse and set up a club on there called the VIP. Uh, very inspiring people, virtually inspiring people, and people can follow me there at CB Inspires. But going online, finding communities of people where you can meet up virtually with them and have these conversations and engage in very intentional and strategic conversations. Because right now, all we really have is our internal household communities, and then we have communities outside of us virtually. So what we want to do is really get online, be intentional about how you're consuming social media, right? Make sure you're not wasting time too much scrolling other people's pages and seeing how they're making it happen, right? Because sometimes that can send you into a funk. But follow people who inspire you. Again, I love John C. Maxwell, Jim Rohn, all of these communities of people. Actually have all right, Crystal, we're going to leave it right there. Thanks so much for joining us. She's the author of Be Extraordinary claiming a life of purpose, passion, and prosperity. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Joining me is Phil Klein. He's director of the Amistad Project. He has been at the forefront of the electoral challenges to what's happening with the election. Hey there, Phil. Good to be with you, Carrie. Thank you. So you guys just filed a new suit in Georgia. Walk us through that. Well, uh, Georgia is again doing what they did wrong in the general election in accepting and spending Zuckerberg money to create a two-tier election system wherein the Democrat strongholds, it's almost impossible not to vote. They're putting these drop boxes where there were the breaches in the chain of custody of the ballots in the general on every street corner in Democrat areas, while additionally making it more difficult to vote out in Republican areas by not having these resources available. And as what happened in the general, government engaging in suppressing one demographic from voting while enhancing and targeting another demographic to vote is wrong. That's not government's role. It should be objective in managing elections. Additionally, there is a significant problem with this invitation, this bringing people in from out of states to just come into Georgia for purposes of voting in the Senate race. That's not proper. Many of those folks, we believe, have voted in U.S. Senate races in other states. And you don't get two votes if you're an American. That dilutes everybody else's vote. You get one vote, and we need to make sure that vote has value. So this suit challenges all of that effort. So you guys looked at this quite a bit in Pennsylvania, and you filed legal action. This didn't really go very far in terms of the courts looking at what your argument about the two-tiered system. What do you, what's different about Georgia in your arguments, and, and what do you think the courts might say, or do you think they'll just say the same thing? Well, you're, you're partially right, Carrie, but in this sense, our suits are still alive in, in all of these states regarding the use of this funding. Courts were reluctant in the general election to give temporary restraining orders, which are difficult to obtain. But it's still going to go forward and go to trial. And we believe we can show the harm of the general election. And you cannot ignore the disputed results in Georgia, the breaches in the chain of custody, which were dramatic in Georgia on these ballots. The fact that the election system in Fulton County wouldn't be certified if it was operated in the manner it was in the general election. We have all of that evidence to introduce now as part of this suit. So, but in terms of affecting the outcome, because it's tomorrow, the vote is tomorrow, do you think this is going to be too little too late? Well, first of all, I believe if this election is as close as it it indicates, no, I believe this counting and all of this will go on for some time and that this could put into dispute um, numerous ballots. So do you think that this lawsuit could potentially, if it is close, could affect the outcome? Well, I think it could. I mean, our theory is that the infusion of millions upon millions of dollars by Mark Zuckerberg is intended to affect the outcome. And we believe that that investment by a private interest in directing how government manages the election is unlawful. So yes, it could potentially affect the outcome. 
But when it comes to the money being spent, I spoke with a legal expert, and I've heard others who say that spending and, and partnering with the government is not illegal in any stretch in the sense that outside groups help to get voter registration and voter participation. That's been going on for quite some time. Well, yes, it has, but they're not understanding the point. This is different. This is the private interest giving the money to government and dictating to government what they must do. When the League of Women Voters does a voter drive, they're spending their own money. They're not telling government what to do, and every citizen can do that. You can go and get the paperwork and register somebody to vote and then take it over to the clerk and the clerk enters it. No, this is this is a private sector telling government, you're going to have consolidated counting centers. We're going to pay the election judges. We're going to pay the people who determine what ballots to count and how they count them. And we're going to put these drop boxes where there's a breach in the chain of custody and no control on every street corner. And we're telling government how to run the election. That is far different than the circumstance in which uh, these so-called experts have given their opinion. And I want to read a quick tweet from you. You said, our founding fathers anticipated the conflict in which we are now in and resolved it by looking to state legislators. The majority believes the election results are fraudulent. State legislators, the American people are looking at you now to perform your constitutional duties. What specifically do you want the legislators to do? Well, first of all, they ought to meet as a body and take a look at how this election was run. They haven't even done that. The United States Constitution under Article Two says the state legislatures determine the manner in which presidential electors are selected. So they have the responsibility, they have the authority, and they need to meet as a body and debate this election and then determine whether to certify or decertify. It shouldn't be in the hands of a couple of local election officials who have accepted millions of dollars of private funds to tell them how to run the election. And Mark Zuckerberg, it's interesting because when Elizabeth Warren seemed to be pulling ahead in the Democratic race, he seemed to be very, very opposed to her because she said that she wanted to break up Facebook and break up what she says are monopolies. And then when it came apparent that Joe Biden was going to be pulling ahead, then he was willing to put money in behind the Democratic areas and behind the Democratic Party. But do you think that for for Zuckerberg, this is actually a Trojan horse in terms of what's going to happen. We just saw House Democrats get rid of PAYGO, for example, which is the controls on spending that says you have to stop. You can't do new spending without having uh, cutting somewhere else. Do you think that Zuckerberg is going to get more than he bargained for in terms of regulation or uh, just new, new onerous, you know, burdensome roles for him? Well, I've never believed that the left has good ideas for entrepreneurism or for uh, business. However, many of these oligarchs, these business oligarchs, they're not concerned about philosophy. They're concerned about self, and they trade on relationship in government. And so I think Mr. Zuckerberg has decided that he needs to put big, big money behind some powerful people to get them in place to protect his personal right. interests. We're going to leave it right there. Thanks so much, Phil Klein. Thank we'll be you. right back, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Hey, good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. We're going to close out the show with the presidential message on National Mentoring Month for 2021. It's a new year, near new goals. The Office of the Press Secretary put out the statement saying that during National Mentorship Month, we recognize the selfless dedication and commitment of countless mentors across the country to the nurturing, leading, and uplifting of America's youth. As they devote their time and energy to helping guide the next generation of leaders, they enrich the lives of others, strengthen our nation, and build a better future for all Americans. Whether sharing their own experiences or supporting their mentees toward their goals, mentors have an indelible impact on the future of our children and young adults. From faith leaders and coaches to educators and business professionals, mentors come from different walks of life, yet share an unwavering devotion to bettering the lives of others. These patriots instill American values in youth across our country. Compassion, generosity, individual responsibility, and duty. As young Americans pursue their dreams, they forever carry the timeless values they learned with the confidence that they are supported. Throughout this month, I encourage all Americans to seek ways in which they can mentor America's youth. Together, we can empower and inspire young American, young people to follow their hearts, go after their goals, and pursue their own American dream. So there you have it, and we encourage you here at Just the News and Real America's Voice. It's National Mentoring Month, and if you are a young person, go out there and get yourself a mentor, because it's the month. It's the time to do it. It's the start of the year. It's the start to set new goals and to achieve those goals, get the mentor that you need to get over the finish line. Thanks so much for joining us here on the first episode here of Just the News AM for 2021. Stay here. War Room is coming up next.